welcome back to HTO, everyone. I was just we was just saying off air. It's getting terribly dark. We tend to do these things in the evening, post a day, and now winter is upon us. Um, I am joined as ever by my co-host Andrew. Uh, we'll throw it to him in a minute. Um, but just to let you know what we're doing today, we are continuing our rivalry series and looking at the sort of the most heated rivalries across the globe, not just in the UK. Today we're talking about Turkey's big three. And we've got a couple of guests, which is really exciting. We're joined by John McManus, author of Welcome to Hell, Search for Real Turkish Football, as well as Max Camilleri, Turkish football correspondent. So we're looking forward to delving in for the look at the fans' view, look at a bit of historical context, um, you know, see if Andrews and I knowledge goes a bit beyond just a Graham Sooners and a, and a poll flag, but I'm not sure it does. So it'll be really interesting to see that. Um, Andrew, looking forward to this one? Very much so, yeah. I've, I've actually got the heating on to kind of make it feel like I'm more, you know, coming from turkey so yeah nice and warm in here but yeah good looking forward to this one as usual um well, I, th I think one of our guests is coming from um turkey so we'll throw it to john first john how are you are you well i'm very well thank you good stuff good stuff um pleasure to have you on and you know before we dive in max how you doing i'm doing amazing I mean, not joining us from turkey though you're joining us from north london north london and but look i'm happy fenerbahce top of the league so <laughs> already um, getting out there already yeah, getting dropping out there. that early doors yeah <laughs> yeah which is good oh, why don't we start why don't we start there then Let, let's start a bit about the the current state of play for you for the both in in league before we sort of, look, sort of put it back into sort of why there is the big rivalry and the divide um how for the for our fans potentially not got their finger on the pulse of the turkish league how's how's it looking i mean it's looking very interesting at the moment um you've got fenerbahce who they spent quite big in the summer, they brought in uh, MLS Golden Boot winner Diego Rossi. Um, they've obviously got Mesut Ozil, which everyone's familiar with. And they've got back their old coach, Vita Piero, back. And it's a very exciting season, but you've also got Galatasaray and Besiktas and Trabzon strengthening. And then you've got a couple of outsiders like Adana and a couple of smaller teams trying to creep, creep their way up into European places. But as it goes, obviously being a Fenerbahce fan, I'm loving how the season has went so far. Um, there's a very, very big game on Sunday against Trabzonspor. So I'm nervous for that. I can, I'm can i getting sleepless nights already thinking about it. But it's been a great season so far. A lot of controversy as well. I think John could agree with that already so far in the league. A lot of VAR decisions, a lot of big name players joining the league, such as Balotelli, everyone remembers him. So you, you've got some big names in Turkish football at the moment. I say the league has have the little, it's been revived a bit over the past couple of years with the big names coming in. You dropped the uh, the O bomb early. With well, the yeah, uh... yeah. the, the bomb's been dropped early. I'm sure we're <laughs> going to come to that. John, is it shaping up to be a classic season for you? How's it looking? Well, I mean, every season doesn't have its. Uh, it has quite a lot of controversy. Um, so that's all well and good. Um, the Turkish League is actually one of Europe's most interesting because because of the big three, you've always got competition for who's going to win it. You know, we don't have the the Bayern Munich or the or even Spain. You know, with sort of the Real Barcelona, occasionally Atletico. I mean, you've got three teams that you know have nearly always won it, and then of course, as as Max was saying, Trabzon, which are also always there or thereabouts. Başakşehir obviously snuck in. Uh, the year before last um so yeah i mean on the pitch it's always that that's one of turkish football's bright 
elements is that it's competitive domestically. I mean, we can get on to the fact that compared to other European leagues, there has been quite a significant like degradation in terms of like the quality. Um, just but that's the case with pretty much many leagues outside of kind of, I don't know, Italy or Spain and, and England. And just to, just to touch on that there, and you said obviously that you've always got those three really strong sides. It'd be great if 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 yourself, John, kicking off, could just give us a little flavour then what that looks like historically. Because if you are, you know, and again, just rooting that in where the listeners will be coming from, predominantly is a UK audience. Like if you look at the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or whatever it may be, different teams have had periods. You've had some mainstays, United's, whatever it's been there for the last 30, 40 years. But if you look at the 80s where Liverpool dominated, but Everton won a few league titles. And obviously Arsenal really challenged um, United in the 90s. Chelsea, Blackburn won a title, Leicester. It, it, historically then what's been the lay of the land in turkey between the three how has that split looked and and where's that dominance been sitting historically good question so uh turkey is not like the uk in terms of these three teams galatasaray fenerbahce and besiktas they're all based in one city istanbul and they have right from the off been the three most uh successful Turkish clubs um, and they were all founded pretty much in the first decade of the 20th century so they're all over 100 years old um, which is a lot older than most other teams in Turkey and Turkey didn't have a uh, national league until the late 1950s so for over half a century there was a league in Istanbul then a bit later on there was a oh, there's a league in Izmir um, and then there was a league in Ankara, the capital. Um, so in terms of by the late 1950s, when sort of the, the football association was like, guys, we've got to have a national league and they create lots of teams in regional cities. Those professional teams in regional cities uh, can't really compete with half a century of kind of Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas, uh, you know, in the capital. And so once a league becomes national, they just kind of maintain their maintain their dominance um and that cascades through right through until today really i mean there has been in the 1980s uh Trabs on sport managed to win a few titles on the bounce um and of course there's like bursa sport won one title in the 2000s bashak Shir obviously won like a season or two before but they're the exceptions that prove the rule you know every season it's kind of the big three as they're known in turkish it's the big threes to lose right mm-hmm. um if they do you know, if they fulfil their potential, then the others are not going to, you know, get in the way. Has it, has it, I was wanted to ask you, John, has it always been a big three? Has it always been that case? Or is that something that's developed in more recent times? And also what, what is the dynamic between those three clubs? Because on this series previously, we've been naturally talking about a direct rivalry between two clubs. So this is interesting where you've got this three-pronged um, issue here. So what's the dynamic like? Good question. So. Um, it's Galatasaray and Fenerbahce have won more titles. And if you want the, the two larger clubs, like they have larger fan bases and they've been more successful. And actually, historically, they were better football teams earlier. So even though Besiktas were formed in 1903, Galatasaray in 1905, Fenerbahce in 1907, just had to think about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive. Do you want to roll it off? It's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, Besiktas didn't really become a footballing power until the 1930s. 
So already that duopoly was kind of established. Okay. And that, that really, you're right that, you know, there's there's a main rivalry and then there's kind of a, like the Besiktas, a kind of sort of, uh, I say this as a Besiktas fan as well, the sort of the annoying third wheel, you know, like Galatasaray and Fenerbahce and Max will, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like they... That no, none of those three like losing to each other. Yeah. But I'm sure if you're Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, if you lose to Besiktas, you can always console yourself. Oh well, at least it wasn't Fenerbahce, <laughs> or at least it wasn't Galatasaray. And um, I'm a Leicester fan. Um, I'm actually from Leicester, so uh, and it reminds me a bit, in a much more uh, glamorous fashion, of the Nottingham Forest derby, Leicester East Midlands triangle of doom, mm. which uh, I don't know if anyone else is familiar with. But basically, that those rivalries back when the sides actually played each other, uh, Forest derby is always far more of like a spicy occasion, and like Leicester fans kind of hate derby and hate Nottingham Forest, but both of them sort of find them again before Leicester actually started winning things just found Leicester a bit of an irritant oh, yeah. yeah and I think I don't know that's perhaps a, a not very precise comparison but for a UK audience that's mm. probably the, the one I'll you, give you in agreement with that Max what, what does it look like in terms of right now between the three sets of fans as well where, where's the more where is the tension completely dominant on the Fenerbahce Gala side I think I say talking about Besiktas having them in there, as John said. Mm. I say on social media, Galan Fenner fans find Besiktas very, I say, like that annoying sibling. They just, they've creeped up in the past couple of years in the European competitions. They represent Turkey. And I say, especially on European nights where they're getting beat 5 0, 4 0 by Ajax and Dortmund. I say Galan and Fenner kind of. We kind of back Besiktas in that that those kinds of times, but I say during the current scenes, I say the rivalry between Gallo and Fennel have increased. I say over the past couple of years because of social media. Um, I say that the clubs have little spouts that travel on social media. The fans kind of argue on things, and obviously when you've got bigger players and joining both clubs. And you, a good example is when Radamel Falcao left Galatasaray. Um, the Fenerbahce fans loved that because that was essentially their biggest player. And there's a lot of spouts between the fan bases. But I say the current state, both fan bases, we know we aren't the best as we should have been. Um, there's a big decline over the past 10 years or so because of if you throw it back to 2011, 2008-2008, Fenerbahce, but be honest, were one of the best teams in Europe, reached the Champions League semi-finals. And since then, obviously, there was the match fits and scandals. There mm. was Fenerbahce going into debt, Galatasaray going into debt. And then we've got, obviously, Besiktas kind of creeping their way up into mm. winning titles, playing in Europe every season. And I say Fenerbahce is a very big sleeping giant at the moment. We've obviously got Mesut Ozil, as I've mentioned, and we're kind of working our way back up there. We are in a Europa League this season. We haven't played that well, but I think I trust Fenerbahce at the moment. I think give it two years and you might see them back in Europe competing mm. with their league. Yeah, it's been a bit of a rocky period for them, hasn't it? Like in the last two or three years or so, like you mentioned. I think a Galatasaray seen as still the, the team in Turkey. I say the team to beat, not the team. I say in regards to actual the team, mm. 
I still, obviously, being a Fenerbahce fan and so on, I still see Fenerbahce as a team. But the team mm. to beat is always Galatasaray. No matter what Turkish club you are, it's always Galatasaray. If you are if you support another team in Turkey, the next fits you always look for mm. is Galatasaray. When the fixtures get announced, the only fixture I look for is Galatasaray. I don't look yeah. at any other ones. I mean, it's probably one of the most fiercely contested sort of blood-soaked derbies isn't yes. it? In, in, in history of football, really. I mean, John, what we what we tend to find, John, as well, with these really intense derbies across the world is the, the more intense ones are the ones that are sort of soaked in history in terms of territory and land because this and this is one isn't it that dates back to like the Bosphorus Strait where you've got Asia and Europe um can you just kind of paint a little bit of a picture for us in that regard yeah so actually Andrew um the rivalry in Istanbul is quite a bit different to other places in Europe so it's not based on kind of sectarianism you know Mm. like in Glasgow um, it's not based on distinct social classes like, uh, you know, football teams in some cities are. Um, Galatasaray, Besiktas and Fenerbahce have fans who come from the whole range of the social uh, class, basically from poor people right through mm-hmm. to, you know, the rich. Um, and it's actually not even especially kind of like uh, Europe versus Asia, but in terms of the Bosphorus, because, yeah, you're right that like Galatasaray is ground and its home is historically uh, on the uh, European side. Fenerbahce is, is on the Asian side. But like, I, and I, I thought like this before I lived in Turkey, but that, that divide is actually not, it doesn't really function when you live in the city you're not like oh i'm crossing over into mm. asia now you know you're just mm. like you're just getting on the bus to go somewhere else in the city mm. um so it's not actually like geographically speaking it's not actually a huge issue and you'll find fenerbahce fans kind of all over um the capital and likewise galatasaray and all over the country so the really interesting thing as well um is that 80 to 90 percent of the entire population of turkey are fans of these big three teams so they 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 absorb just all all the media attention all the social media attention like you know they're sort of just behemoths Hmm. where does that leave the others then because we were on the on the italian pod we had john solano on talking about the roma lazio derby um, but and also their feeling as fans towards a team like Juve, where they've got such a stranglehold on how things run into in, it, in Italian football. Um, how do other clubs in Turkey look at those big three? Uh, with irritation, for the most part, uh, with annoyance at their sense of entitlement. Um, uh, but also, I mean, like fans of teams are often. Uh, there are a few exceptions, but they often are also fans of the big three. So like if you live in, uh, you know, sort of, let's say, Konya, a uh, big city in the middle of the country, there's a team called Konya Spore. They're in the top division. Uh, they have fans of those and, and they're my fans who go to games. But I think probably if you speak to most of those fans, they will also, you know, on one side, if you get them in the right mood, would, would say that they're also a fan of Galatasaray, Besiktas or Fenerbahce. So in some ways, people have these uh, have these sort of multiple fandoms. The, the important exception is Trabzon, where just everyone's a Trabzon fan, like hands down. And some mm. of the some of the Izmir teams are the same. Uh, but so, I mean, there's an annoyance in a way at how much uh, coverage they they soak up. But at the same mm. time, everybody kind of buys into it to a certain degree. And the gap, with the exception of Trabzon, 
the gap between the big three and everyone else is is pretty large so if you want to actually support a side that is involved in championships then you know you've kind of got to nail your colors to the mast of one of them mm-hmm. yeah and i, I was just going to say in, in terms of fandom them and, and attraction to whether it be the league the players the clubs it'd be really great to get from you both then how what dragged you in to to the world of turkish football you know, like someone from the <laughs> that, that Leicester Triangle derby, um, John, and someone from North North London um, doesn't necessarily scream, I'm going to get soaked into Turkish football here. So it'd be great to hear what attracted you both to the game uh, and what still clearly grips you today. I'll, I'll start. So I say, look, I'm being honest. I've got a lot of my followers listening to this as well. I say, being in North London, John would know as well, big Turkish community. Big Turkish community, no matter what games are going on, you see Gala, Fener, Besiktas shirts everywhere. Um, we all meet up every match day, me and my friends, to watch the Fenerbahce games in a big snooker hall. There's probably 200 people there, packed around one TV screen. It's like something from the 90s, you say. But I say, I got, I say, interesting Turkish football. I say, starting from probably, I say, around 2016, I'm only 20 myself, and being an Arsenal team to go older, you had Arsenal and the Cronkies, and I've kind of felt not attached to Arsenal, and I kind of, I'm a big FIFA player myself, and I was kind of look, I was looking into other football teams and just being around the ultra culture, and then I have a lot of Turkish friends, and there was always Gala and Fener and so on, and then big players moved to Fener. I was a big fan of Dirk Cow at the time. You had Van Persie, former Arsenal player, move over there. And then I say, give it a year ago, my favourite footballer of all time moved over there, Meza Ozil. So there was a lot of attention around Fenerbahce and then lockdown happened and I wasn't attending Arsenal games. I just found myself surrounded by Turkish football, even around the smaller teams. And their fans are so passionate. They This is a livelihood for them. They live and breathe these football clubs, even the smaller teams, and you hear the rivalries, you hear the match fits and scandals. And these care, these people care so much about their clubs. And you can go, no matter what city you're in, you can be in Liverpool, you wear a Galatasaray furniture, Turkish people will come up to you and speak to you. I was in a shopping centre the other day wearing a Fenerbahce shirt. These two Turkish men came up to me speaking Turkish and trying to have a conversation with me about football, and they hugged me and so on. So... There's a lot of love in the Turkish football game. And I say someone who's 20 years old and my advice for people is that Turkish football is a sleeping giant. And I think John could agree with this. I say in the past couple of years, you've had all these horrible scandals and off the pitch, but get involved in it. Go to, your, uh, go to North London and pick a team and uh, trust me, you won't regret it. That's a good sell. That's a good sell. What about yourself, John? Where was your sort of first love for yourself? And obviously... Uh, you can give a little, a little pitch for your book and just sort of what you sort of, what dra- dragged you to Turkish football, but then also to sort of write and sort of make a living around it. Yeah, well, funny you should mention that, Tom, because the intro to the book sort of explains how I managed to get involved. So uh, without too many spoilers, uh, I basically uh, accepted an invitation to teach English at a high school in Ankara. Um, I didn't actually choose Turkey. I was sort of assigned to it. And having never visited knowing nothing about the place i ended up living in the boys dormitory of a high school 
And one of the first things that happened was that they put a Galatasaray scarf around my neck. Um, and from that moment onwards, you know, if you come from the UK, you, you know the importance of football. I mean, when you travel the world, you kind of it inflates your ego a bit because when people hear you from the UK probably the next thing out their mouth will be like Liverpool Arsenal Manchester United or something like this and you're like yeah this this is where I'm from this is these are our teams um but when I went to Turkey as as Max sort of alluded to like the attachment to football was even more obsessive in some ways even more fanatical um there isn't that whole British sort of like just you know sort of moan like a low low level moaning sort of droll kind of approach that most of us have towards our teams uh which is a time and place but anyway in turkey it's just like the connection just seems so much more visceral and fraught and exciting and i was like well i've got to understand more about this and there sort of uh began a sort of you know decade long longer now sort of odyssey which has gone through convincing various educational institutions to fund me to look at football fans and football and now and you know writing books and and the like and you know trying to keep that plate spinning for as long as I can I guess one one area of Turkish football that you would both agree that is not particularly the prettiest is of the there is seems to be that violent undercurrent would you say yeah um is always that something is an image that they can't seem to shake off or is it something that there's a real strong reason for it. Is it like a political thing? Is it more just where where does that where does that come from? Because obviously there's been some horrific um, incidents over the years. I think uh, John would be the best comment this because of, I mean just coming from a fan of Barche point of view, we obviously have GFB Europe, a big fan base, and I say if you look towards the other two Istanbul teams, you kind of find that more often with the violent side, but. I think a good example just starts off with Suness, which Tom mentioned at the first start. I think that just pretty much kicked off the, the violent side. And we obviously saw what happened with Leeds United and Galatasaray and yeah. what happened from there, I think. Was that, was that, do you, would you think that was the seed then for that? Was, was... Well, I mean, I would, I'd say that actually uh, there's been a lot of kind of, violence surrounding football clubs in Turkey for, for quite a long time as, the, as there is kind of historically in many places around the world. Obviously in a UK eye, the Leeds United incident, it kind of crystallised, it was a huge moment in defining what Turkish football is and also therefore what Turkey is. And that's mm. why, that's why it, it's kind of solidified this uh, phrase, welcome to hell, which actually comes from 1993 on a banner, which was used to welcome Galatasaray, sorry, Man U when they played Galatasaray. But somehow those two images fused in the UK mind, the, the kind of slightly uh, tempestuous uh, reception that mm. Manchester United fans had. And then obviously the horrific murder of two Leeds fans, which you know nobody in their right mind would condone. Um, those two images kind of fused uh, and became the image, right, this is what Turkish football is like. Mm. And for sure, it's passionate. For sure, there are, there's violence and things. But, you know, this, that those are quite exceptional moments. And, you know, it's not as if someone is being like stabbed at games every other week. And it's not as if fans from other countries are like mortally in danger every time they come to Istanbul. Um, so, it, you know, the whole premise of my book was basically to try and 
understand where does this stereotype come from and it's quite complicated and you have to pay 5.99 to get the book to find out no. <laughs> no, it's interesting it's interesting though because it's like yeah as english fans you kind of soak up the media don't you and what what you're what you're presented and um you can come out with you know quite sort of naive statements i think it's, i just found i find it interesting actually with a lot of these intense boca juniors and river plate is another one for me that i'd love to go i'd love to go and watch a live game fenner gala as well rangers and celtic but it's just more the the sort of why because in with the lazio roma one like john solano was saying that the violence is through that kind of frustration that the clubs feel towards almost italian football and the hierarchy with juve at the top and um, i just wondered if there was a particular reason but um like you've said well, yeah. oh sorry to cut you off no, i mean historically so there's a this is a great historian in in turkey who uh who sort of suggests that it all dates back to a squabble in 1914 over a shield. So uh, Fenerbahce were late in their application. As to all join... good arguments should, obviously. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Uh, <clears throat> Fenerbahce were late to in their request to join the league. Um, and so the other clubs rejected them. Uh, and then that season, Galatasaray won the league. And then they turned to Fenerbahce and like, right, hand over the shield because Fenerbahce were the, the, were the winners of the previous season. And Fenerbahce were like, no, we're not going to give it to you. <laughs> um, uh, so that's his take. Like another take is uh, there was a riot at a game in 1934, which um, is brilliant uh, on so many levels because it, it prompted this huge mass brawl, uh, which calmed down until the uh, Fenerbahce goalkeeper, uh, Hussam Metin, ran and punched the Galatasaray manager, who was an Englishman called Sidney Puddafoot. Uh, in the head uh, and then that sparked a huge um, a huge inflammation of it again uh, and the game was abandoned 17 players were fined and some had bans of six months from football um, so some other people have been like no that's when the rivalry started but basically I would argue that you will never find like a, there isn't a particular point at which it kind of sparked into life it's mm. just the general you know, living cheek by jowl with a successful neighbour or a neighbour which is kind of on a on a level with you, it just in, it just inspires rivalry, right? I mean, if mm. the you know you mentioned North London, Max, and like you know, I mean, you got the Arsenal Tottenham thing and like yeah. Everton, it's just being close to someone else who's kind of you feel is on your territory. That's I think essentially yeah, it's territory and therefore competing on the pitch as well. And I think that's that's when the rivalries are at the most intense. You know, if you look at yeah, so the Rangers Celtic won, for example, and and I think in England the the biggest rivalries we've had, you could argue, Man United and Liverpool, geographically are fairly close, but they're not city derbies uh, with respect. To, you know, it's not a you know the, the, historically it's not, they're not from the same city, and I think clearly what you have in Turkish football is this unique, like you said, the big three, geographically close, but also clearly in in, in terms of their stature and size of club and competing year on year out close as well so i think that sort of probably just builds that intensity um year on year year on year whereas you look at derbies like say the north london one and there's been periods of our histories where we've not really we've been maybe in both in the top flight of the division but maybe arsenal are competing for titles spurs weren't in the last few years neither of us have really been close to the league title that kind of thing it's not been that day in day out battle on the pitch and i think that's what probably bleeds off the pitch as well in terms of uh, the battles that that happen there and the rivalries amongst the fans. Um, I'd love to get your uh, both your takes on a, a favourite standout match um, for, between between well between any of the big three, but 
I would say, I, I say the favourite match, I say, John, I want you to go first because you've got interesting stories to tell. <laughs> you go. <laughs> I want you well, to go first in that one. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I mean, my, my favourite match is one where I was uh, fortunate enough to attend. It was like the last derby match at Besiktas's old ground which is one of the best grounds in the world. I think it had a stand, uh, which if you sat near the top, you had a view out over the Bosphorus watching the tankers go past. Um, but it was just a fantastic game. For, it started off by thousands over capacity, loads of people squeezed into the stadium who shouldn't have been there. So the whole place was just absolutely rammed. Um, and it was one of those seesawing games where it was like Besiktas were up, then Fenerbahce equalised and Fenerbahce went ahead. Then Besiktas got it to two all, I think. And then basically uh, in the sort of like the last play, uh, Fenerbahce had a corner and everyone was, you know, bricking it. And then they the Besiktas broke and you're like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then sure enough, yeah, the ball found its way to like old Jai Shahin, name from who's I don't know where he is now. Anyway, he, he scored a goal and yeah, the whole place just absolutely went nuts. I remember a man fell on top of me um, I turned around to see my friend topless. Uh, yeah, this is February or mo early March. Um, uh, yeah, it was just a fantastic. Another friend of mine started crying um, and that just kind of captured for me. Uh, there's a real, you know, this the passion that people can feel that they can express. You know, mm. uh, it really is something else to celebrate a goal in a, in a Turkish football stadium or even to watch people celebrate it. Um, so, yeah, it should be top of anyone's list if they uh, if they're visiting Istanbul is to try and check out a game. I mean, if you can get a ticket for a derby, all, all the better. Yeah, I say I say I think looking on the history side of things, I'll say being kind of brought into Turkish football. And I've probably rewatched this game 20 times. The footage isn't very good, but I think it's that famous game in 2002. John may remember it when uh, Fenerbahce beat Galatasaray 6-0, famously having 10 men for four of the goals. And I think looking back on that on, on that team that Fenerbahce had at the time, some superstar names and then being on social media now, I mean, Fenerbahce, called Galatasaray 6S instead of GS and that's kind of brought the rivalry to higher level I say on social media where anything a Galatasaray fan says you just respond back with a picture of that scoreboard from that day and I say as famous matches go over the past year Fenerbahce haven't been that lucky in derbies if we're going to be honest but this season on the Victor Piera hopefully we can have some more classics as they haven't, they haven't been very successful against Arsenal in the last couple of games, have they, Max? <laughs> no, no. As I say, I say, being a Arsenal team, take a hold of myself. I don't hide it. And um, I remember the Arsenal Fenerbahce matches, and I say I remember the Fenerbahce fans that day mm. um, being quite loud. But then, if you look at Arsenal versus Galatasaray, I think when Galatasaray do come to London, it's a big show. They always shut down the stadiums. Yeah. They, I think yeah. I've managed to um, delete the 2000 UEFA final out of my memory, actually. <laughs> yeah. The drab game. It was an awful game. Obviously, we win on the loss, but it's just an awful game as well. Um, <laughs> where, where, where's the best place to go and get Turkish food in North London, Max, before, before or, or after a game? You know, where's your go-to? 
I say my favourite is Hala Restaurant. Um, there's actually a famous Alice Susan Warhol that you might have seen on Twitter, which is down the road to Harlow Restaurant, where all Fenerbahce fans get their pictures of. But I say to actually watch Turkish football, um, all the big, I say big four teams, if we want to talk about that, we will meet up at the Harini Suga Snooker Club. And on Sunday, there's probably going to be a good 500 Fenerbahce and Trabzon fans there watching the game behind one screen and then hopefully in the next couple of months we can hopefully fly to Turkey and watch the derbies in person. Absolutely and briefly from me both then how, how do you see the league playing out this season um, if, you, if you had to sort of nail a prediction? I'd say it's probably if I'm being honest I think it'll be between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. I just think Besiktas' squad depth this season, we've seen it already, John. They've had injuries after injuries. And I think we're going to see the big two teams, if you want to put it like that, Ooh. battle out this season Ooh. for a <laughs> finale. This is, this is like Fury, Fury Wilder number four. This is yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, Max is absolutely right. Besiktas are sort of the walking wounded at the moment. But uh, it's just impossible to say, like, this goes for Turkey more broadly. Like, it's a mugs game trying to predict what the hell is going to happen next in politics or football. So uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've had egg on my face many times in the past. So I've reached a point where I just basically refuse now. Um, I, I think probably the only thing you can draw me on saying is that or most likely it will be one of the big three. Uh, unless Trabzon. Wow, that's not really much of a prediction, Johnny. <laughs> Trabzon have got a good team this year, though. Yeah, no, and also their manager, I do, I do rate Abdullavja, so uh, they definitely could do it. Um, but yeah, um, so sorry, that's a bit of a cop out. Well, <laughs> a couple of big dates, couple of big dates for the uh, diary for our listeners. We've got Besiktas Gala coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and also twenty first of November, guys. Put it in your diary, Gala Fenner. Who's coming out on top on that one? I I think that's going to be Fenner. And I'm saying it now because of I think Fenner's going to be probably throwing away the Europa League, doing their best to get out of Europe, how I've seen this season. They don't probably want to be in Europe. And I think the way Victor Pierre has fired up his team at the moment, and I think Mesut Ozil is back to playing football, I can see that being a very fiery game. And like I mentioned on Sunday, you've got Fenerbahce against Trabzon you've got some big games coming up in the Turkish league and every weekend as John knows you've got to keep your eyes open every game there's controversy VAR red cards red cards <laughs> I mean you even had a uh, Galatasaray player uh, punching his teammate the other week didn't we John it's all fun and games. It's uh, never a dull moment. If you want, we just we worked really hard across the pod to say, look, look the, the violence and the action, look, that's just a hyped up by the media. But last week there was a player punching his teammate, and just sort of like, yeah. you know, it's the way. I was just thinking, I think Roy King would be a great pundit in Turkey. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, very finally, before we, before we wrap up, it would be great um, from you both to hear about one other derby that you would love to go and see, uh, or one other big clash. Doesn't necessarily have to be a local derby. Um, if you could, if you could, you know, in a in a very much post-COVID world, no travel restrictions, no passports needed, if you could just magic yourself into a stadium, what 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 derby would you go and see, John, or what match? I think it's perhaps boring, but uh, maybe uh, Boca Juniors River Plate. I mean, it's I I I'm quite 
partial to non-European football. Uh, and yeah, that's obviously the sort of the big one. And, and I'm interested, is, is the hype worth it? What's it like on the ground? Um, I'd like to go and see for myself. There's that famous quote, isn't there, from Ardega Johnson? He said, I, he went for a, for a holiday and he just said that it's just, he's never seen anything like it. Yeah. What about yourself, Max? I would say this might be a bit controversial to Turkey, but Olympiakos, um, Panathinaikos, I've seen the Sings in Greece. Um, <laughs> there's some crazy things. It looks like the stadium's on fire every time they play each other. And um, that's in my bucket list. And hopefully if I'm ever in Turkey, cross the border and hopefully get to watch that live. That's a good call. Uh, in 2016, I went to like a Pauk match in Thessaloniki and it was something else. It wasn't even a, a derby. And like, yeah, it actually, in some ways, it made a lot of the stuff that goes on in Turkey seem child's play in comparison. Um, yeah, the, the, the ultras were a whole other level of, of, of aggression. Yeah, I, went to, um, I went to Arsenal versus Olympiacos and I said to my dad, I can't take a uh, water bottle in a stadium, but there's a hundred of them can take flares and pyros. And it was something out. it's like you're watching a firework display. And that's what yeah. really got me into European football at that time. That, that massive. If you're, the trying to suggest, if you're trying to suggest that spending 30, 40 pounds on a pizza at Arsenal isn't the same atmosphere, then, then you're mad. Um, I'm an Arsenal <laughs> season ticket holder myself, so I'm, I'm allowed to have a little dig about the extortion yeah. prices and slight lack of flares and atmosphere. Yeah, I, miss, I miss our annual game against Olympiacos. It used to become a yeah, yeah, thing, on it? Regular, quite regular. I'm also disappointed <laughs> they didn't say that the big derby, which is obviously sort of the Barnet Wormwood. Um, the show yeah, down, FA, yeah. occasionally happens, you know. But FA Cup, they're they're paired against each other in the FA Cup qualifying round this year. So yeah, there you go. So um, thank you both for joining, though. That on all to yeah, that was a really good chat. Um, eye opener. Yeah, and if you if you're not into Turkish football, give it a go. Um, as Max said, big game on Sunday, so why not tune in, listen? Um, we're gonna tweet, push this on all our different socials as well, not just Twitter. Um, and obviously. John's book, Welcome to Hell. You may as well get that and buy that and read that as well. So um, follow them follow them both. Follow John, follow Max, um, and keep on following us, keep on listening, and we will be back soon. Cheers all.